Well, let's, uh, so let's start with a little game. I call it, who said that? I'm going to give you a quote, and you tell me who said that particular quote. Ready? I'm not the greatest. I'm the double greatest. Not only do I knock them down, knock them out, I pick the round. Anyone? Anyone? I'm Muhammad Ali. Okay, for you history buffs, we're going to go back to the ancient Latin. I came, I saw, I won. Julius Caesar. Okay, we're coming back to the modern day. This is a tough one. I'll be impressed if you get it. I don't even listen to rap. My apartment's too nice to listen to rap in. Who said that? Kanye West. <laughs> now, when you hear people bragging like that, do you, like me, just go, oh, come on. I mean, nobody likes to hear people brag. Nobody likes to hear people brag. But everybody brags. Why is that? I think we think that we're pretty good at covering it up. I don't want to brag, but I'm about the best I know. <laughs> at bragging without people realizing it, and you guys are going, no, we realize it. That, that's the problem. There was actually a study done by these psychologists that they, they got some people together and said, listen, we want you to introduce yourself to other people. Like, try to, try to make them like you. Every time they said, say something that will make someone like you, it had the opposite effect. And then they asked the people, when you were talking about yourself to this group of people, what percentage of them do you think might have had some negative emotions when you were talking about yourself? The average guesstimate was eh, about 25%. That's pretty close to what I would say. I just think, you know, when I'm, when I'm bragging and sneaky bragging, right, because I'm, 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 I'm covering over my brags, I think, well, you know, maybe about 25% of people don't like that, and 75% think I'm pretty awesome. Well, then they went and asked the crowd, like when you heard this person talking about themselves, how many of you had negative emotions? What would you guess? 75%. We are way off in our estimate of how good we are at covering up our bragging. So let me just give you some help in case you need some help in covering up your bragging. Here's a trick that you can use. It's called the one-upsmanship. You ask a person a question, and it doesn't matter what their answer is, you know your answer is awesomer. And they just wait for them to ask you. So it's like this, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? Oh, you know, I did this and that. And you go, hmm, that, 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 that must have been pretty good. And just wait. They're socially obligated to ask you back, what did you do over the weekend? Oh, you know, we flew to London, saw Les Mis, as one does. <laughs> if that doesn't work, you might try the humble brag. The way, the way you humble brag is you complain about something, but really you're bragging. I just can't get any of my clothes to fit after losing 40 pounds. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, one of my favorites is the Hollywood also known as the red carpet, where you thank everybody else for an award that you won. I just want to thank everybody, my accountant, my chauffeur, my house cleaner, for making me awesome. Wish they had nothing to do with it. Or this one, this one, and we all have used this and we all hate it. It's called the online profile. 
No, I'm not even gonna make a joke. It's, all, it's up to you at this point. Because we've all read the online profiles and you go, yeah, no, that's a glamour shot for sure. A uh, little bit of, uh, you know, Photoshop in there. When we try to brag, we're just not good at covering it up. So let me ask you again, why do we keep bragging when nobody likes braggarts and we're just not good at it? Another group of psychologists, they did an experiment where they put some like diodes on people's brains. And they asked the people to talk about themselves. And when they were talking about themselves, it triggered the pleasure sensory things in their brain. In fact, it, it triggered the same synapses. The pleasure zone of the brain is the same pleasure as eating and sex. We like talking about ourselves a lot. And that's why we keep doing it, even though we know that nobody likes a braggart. Now, I'm going to tell you why this particular message to me is so important. I've never heard a sermon on bragging before, never, even though the Bible has a lot to say about it. But the reason I'm digging into this is earlier this year, I got some uh, criticism. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> and it's, the funny thing is, yeah, I'm still stunned by it. Like, really? The criticism was, uh, you come across as arrogant, I've never been arrogant. It's insecure. And most people, when they're boasting, it's not because they're really proud of themselves, it's because they have a weakness that they're trying to hide. I'm gonna talk more about my weakness in a moment, but I decided this was a serious enough feedback. It's not the first time I've heard it, that I, really, I need to deal with it. So if you have a blind spot, you don't know you have a blind spot. And the only way to find your blind spots is to ask people to reveal to you your blind spots. So I did that. I, I created a little four-question survey. I sent it to, this was painful. I sent it to 10 people that I trusted would tell me the truth. And they did. I got two consistent pieces of feedback back. The first one was, you don't always come across as, as, as humble. Okay. The second bit of feedback, I... I I can't really remember what it is. Something about not listening generously, or I don't, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> when you're talking about yourself, it's really hard to listen generously to other people. So I knew that I had some work to do on this, and you probably can guess why, why this is so important to me. I really want to connect with people. And Craig Rochelle is right when he says, we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect through our weaknesses. And when you're talking about your strengths, it, it often makes the other person feel weak and demeaned, like they, they can't live up to you. So while you're feeling good about talking about yourself, you're actually making other people feel bad about themselves. And, and the real issue with that is not only, if we're talking about our strengths, not only do we make other people feel bad, but we constrict the opening that God has to work in our lives and really do something through our weaknesses. It's not our strengths that impress God or other people. It's our weaknesses that connect. Now, if you are getting a job interview or maybe you want to be a starter on a team, talking about your strengths in an area of skill set may get you advancement. 
But when you shift from a skill set conversation to a relationship conversation, it always works the opposite. Talking about yourself makes you less likable, not more. And you might be surprised how much the Bible has to say about this. In fact, there's one passage, we're going to land here, 2 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12, three entire chapters talk about this idea of bragging in your strengths makes you weaker, but bragging in your weakness makes God appear stronger. So we don't have time for every verse. I'm just going to summarize all three chapters in two statements. First, our strength is weakness without God. We know that. But our weakness is strength with God. Yeah, that's where we're going. I want, I want to start here. Our strength is weakness without God. Paul says in his uh, self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool, since many are boasting in the way the world was, I too will boast. If there's any question, he's being cynical. So those of you who like cynical, like comedians, Nate Bargetsy, this is Paul being Nate Bargetsy. He's being cynical here. And he's being cynical because there were a group of people who had come into the church of Corinth after Paul left. He's planning another church. And they're going, Paul, small, don't listen to him. He's not a very good speaker. And by Paul's own confession, he wasn't. Physically, he's not that impressive. And by Paul's own admission, he wasn't. And so these new pastors are coming in and said, don't listen to Paul, listen to us, because we're the ones that are really impressive. And they're bragging about themselves, and people go, oh, wow, you are impressive. So Paul is coming in cynically saying, okay, if they're going to boast like the world does, then I'm going to boast like the world does. Well, how does the world boast? Well, you know it because it's how you boast. You boast about how much money you have. You boast about what you've accomplished. You boast about your status and position. When we boast about our strength, it actually makes us weak. Here's why. Everything we boast about is really a gift of God to us. If you boast about your biceps or your brains, doesn't matter. That's what God gave you. Now, you might use it well, but it's his gift to you. You might as well boast about the color of your eyes or the color of your hair. And I'm glad to announce I I don't have a problem with that anymore. When, when we talk about our strengths, we're really closing a door on what God could do through us. But when we boast about our weakness, everybody knows, listen, if God did that through you and your weakness, God gets the glory. Not only do you connect people with people better, you connect people with God better when you boast about your weakness and not about your strengths. Paul goes on to say, You gladly put up with fools, since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or take advantage of you and puts on airs or slaps you in the face. So these Corinthians were listening to these other pastors who bragged about themselves and put these people down. Why would you ever look up to people who put you down? But we do it all the time. Mean girls in middle school. These moguls, financial moguls, who they're putting you down. These pompous politicians or these elite athletes or artists, they don't care about you, so why do you care what they think about you when they don't care about you? Why do you ever want to be like someone 
that doesn't like you. But that's what we do, and when we brag in a worldly way, we're trying to imitate them. So here's what Paul does. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? <laughs> well, so am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. And then Paul does a twist. He starts out bragging uh, the normal things that Jewish person would brag about. I'm from the right tribe. I have the right education. I have the right experience. Paul was actually mentored by a guy named Gamaliel, the chief rabbi of the day. He is in the in crowd fast lane. He has bragging rights, but instead of going down that lane, he shifts lanes and begins to brag about things in his culture that people would mock him for. He begins to brag about his weakness, not his strength. And, and it's a long list. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Uh, Paul, you're an ex-con? Uh, multiple times. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. What did you do to make that many people that mad? Uh, I was once, uh, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the country, in danger in the sea, and in danger from false believers. Paul has been racked and wrecked time and again. He says, if I'm going to brag about anything, that's what I'm going to brag about. Why? Because when you boast in your strength, you become weak. Because you really boast in a gift that was given to you anyway. It makes you disconnected with people and makes other people feel disconnected from God. I, I was talking to a Dustin Tappan, a head over our student and kids ministry, and he said something that just took my breath away, so I promised him I would plagiarize it. He said, if people don't hear about our weaknesses, they will conclude that Jesus has no room for theirs. And I just want you to know, if this is your first time to CCV, and maybe you're watching online or sitting on one of our campuses and you think, it looks like everyone is so put together here. We're not. And I'll brag about our weaknesses. If there's anything in our church that you look at it and say, wow, I promise you we're not that good. It is, it is because of God working through weak people that anything good has come out of this place, and a lot of good has come out of this place. And we don't want you to be impressed with us. We want you to be impressed with what God has done through the likes of us. And so Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. Why? Because our weakness is strength with God. And you might think, well, that's a Christian thing. Actually, it's not. We see this in the world without being, being part of Christ. We, we see this in people who are just doing life. For, let me give you an example. Temple Grandin. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie about her life. She, was, uh, she has autism, like seriously. When she was a child, she had autism so badly that they said she was brain damaged. That's very isolating for a child. So she had no friends. She felt weird. She failed at school. 
And it caused her to go through quite a bit of mental trauma. And one summer, she went to her uh, grandmother's farm in Texas. It was actually a cattle ranch. And because of her autism, not in spite of it, because of her autism, she could understand the animals. And she got particularly interested in the cows. And she wound up going to the University of Illinois and against all odds got a PhD in animal husbandry. Temple Grandin loved cattle so much that she went into the industry, which is a male-dominated industry. So here she is, odd, autism, in an industry male-dominated that doesn't respect women, but she changed the entire industry. Here's how. Again, because of her autism, she could think like the cows. And cows get super nervous when you put them into a chute, and they put them in a chute a lot when they deworm them, when they bathe them, when they give them shots, when they, when they, when they you know, put that stamp on them. The cows, when they're in the chute, are just really uptight. But she noticed that if you take a cow and put them not in a straight line, but curve them specifically to the right, then they settle down. It made the cattle more calm, which means it didn't shoot a bunch of nervous hormones into the meat and spoil it. It meant that they got faster at giving them their shots and giving them their brands and all the things they had to do. They were more profitable, they had better meat, and it was easier on the cowboys because she changed the way the cows were processed. And today, over 80% of the cattle farms follow her design. There's another name that you're probably familiar with, George Washington. And we think, well, he's the father of our country. What a guy. Like super humble and great military man. Actually, he wasn't either when he began his career. His first post was for the British Army. He was an officer, and he told his men that they were being attacked by the French, we're going to build a fort. It was called Fort Necessity. (laughs) Funny. 1756. And he failed to listen to his advisors. They said, this fort is going to be crushed where we are and how we're building it. And because of his arrogance, he said, build it like I say. And they did. And they were demolished. And because of that, he had to sign a peace treaty with the French army. But he didn't read French. So he signed a document he didn't fully read. And part of what he signed was an admission to assassinating a French officer, which kicked off all kinds of turmoil that led to a seven-year war. Oh, he has lots of failures under his belt, but he learned humility from them. And he learned to listen to his advisors, and that's why he led the revolutionary armies to a victory against the British and established our nation and became our nation's first president. Elected not once, but twice. And would have been elected probably indefinitely, but he said, no, this is not good for the country. We don't need another king And that's why even today we have two limit terms on president. From his weakness, he became strong. And Paul tells his story about going from strength to weakness. Chapter 12, verse 1. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or Out of the body, I do not know, God knows. So who is this man and what is the third heaven? 
Well, the third heaven, we know, is the, the way the Jews looked at the world. You've got the air around you that you breathe. That's heaven number one. And you've got birds above you, and the skies float in heaven number two. And above that is the stars, and that's where God's throne is. That's heaven number three. So Paul knows this man who is caught up into that third heaven and the throne of God, and that man heard things that could not be uttered among men, and Paul knew what he heard. So who was the man? Well, it had to be Paul. Because how do you hear things that you can't utter if you weren't there to hear them and can't utter them? So the question is, why is Paul pulling a George Costanza? Why, why is he talking about himself in the third person? Because visions among the Jews really were bragging rights. And if he begins talking about his vision, all of his contemporaries go, ooh. And Paul goes, no. No, I'm not going to talk about a man like that. So he refuses to attach his own name to this vision. He says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Oh, he'll name himself and he'll name his own weakness. And then he goes on to share what was for him his greatest weakness. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Thorn in his flesh. What is that? Well, we don't know for sure, but I've got a pretty good idea. Here's my guess. It was his eyesight. If you'll recall when Paul was Saul, before he changed his name, before he gave his life to Christ, he was a persecutor of the church. And on one occasion, he had these letters of extradition from the high priest to the people of Damascus. And he had taken the 300-mile journey there on foot, and right outside the city, a bright light knocked him to the ground. Which you got to know, if light knocks you to the ground, it is a bright light. And it blinded him. They had to lead him by the hand into the city. For three days, he could not see he did not eat. He just prayed, oh God, oh God. And a man came, sent from God. His name was Ananias. And Ananias took his confession, baptized Saul into Christ, now Paul, and gave him the marching orders from God. And he also healed him from his blindness. And Luke, the physician who's recording this event, says that something like scales were peeled off of his eyes. I know, Gross. My guess is that when the scales were peeled off of his eyes, it left some permanent damage to his eyes, which for a scholar, that is a bad thing. You make your living by books, uh, and you can't read. You make your living traveling, and you can't see. You make your living speaking to audiences, you can't read their faces. That is a great difficulty. So Paul kept asking God to take it away. He mentions to the Galatians, a church that he planted, if, if you could, you would have given your own eyes to me. In chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 15, he says, see with what large letters I'm writing with my own hands. It was the first large print edition of the Bible. And Paul hated the fact that he couldn't read well, hated the fact that he couldn't see well, and so he asked Jesus, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power can rest on me. My weakness and your weakness is the canvas on which God's grace is writ large. And I understand Paul asking three times for this thorn in the flesh to be taken away. And I'm going to reveal something. I don't, I've never said this publicly, and I've barely said it privately. If I've ever come across as arrogant, I apologize. It, honestly, it is insecurity. And I'm going to tell you exactly what that insecurity is. For 22 years, I was a college professor, and I, I had success in the classroom. And because of that success, the president of the college, uh, one time as a private conversation, he said, listen, when I leave, I, th I think you're the guy that should sit in my seat. And I just puffed up. Uh, a couple of years later, the academic dean said, listen, uh, when I leave, I think you're the guy that should sit in my seat. Well, the president left, and nobody said anything to me about that. They didn't offer me the job. The dean left. They didn't offer me the job. I have never been the point leader of any organization. I, I came here as a teaching pastor, and I was pretty clear, I, I don't want to be the successor. And nobody even thought that was a possibility. They didn't offer me the job. In fact, I, I'm glad they didn't because I think, I, I don't know every pastor in North America, I know a few, and I don't have near the respect for anyone else other than our pastor, Ashley Woldridge. God has blessed us with that man. Now, had they offered me the job of senior pastor, I would have said no. I didn't want the job. Had they offered me the, uh, the job of president of the college, I would have said no. Dean's role, I, I would have said no. I, I didn't want the job. That's not the point, though, is it? It's not that I wanted the job. It's just that I wanted people to think I could do the job. As honest as I can be with you, here's my greatest fear. I want you to think more of me than I think of myself. And when I feel threatened because I haven't been the point leader, and I feel like you might think I'm not worthy of that, I, that's when I get all squirrely and, and try to promote my strength rather than boast about my weakness. But now that it's on the table, I guess I could just be honest. You know what? If anything good has come out of my ministry, it's not because of my greatness. You know that. It's because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in us and through us. Now, I don't know what that means for you. I know what it's meant for me, a very difficult public confession of my weakness. And maybe for you, it could be a private conversation with your family because you've been wrestling with this addiction and your kids don't know about it. And your teenage kids or your adult children, they wonder why you've been so distant. They wonder why you, they feel like you've been hiding something from them, because you have. But what if, what if bragging about your weakness allows them to see the work of God in you? Some of you at work have failed and you're hiding it, you're covering it up. You haven't let your spouse know, or you haven't let your colleagues know that you need help. What if that admission of the weakness, what if embracing weakness actually gives space 
for God to enter in and be glorified in ways that you could never be glorified without him. So your, your strength is a weakness without God, but your weakness can be a strength with God. Or maybe it's something that happened in your past that you did or was done to you and you just don't want anybody to know because what would they think of you? Maybe the better question is, what could they think of God? Because my suspicion is that Christmas is going to be a time when you'll be tempted to cover over your weaknesses rather than let them be exposed. But in covering over the weakness, you're going to try to promote yourself and it's going to backfire. But if you're transparent with your weakness, with your struggles, with your pain, it gives space for God to be glorified in your weakness and through your weakness to do something that no one would have expected or guessed. And at that point, it is your weakness that is your best tool for making Jesus famous. Holy Father, nobody wants to expose their weakness. But Paul gives us such great advice that by boasting in our weakness, we're really giving people an opportunity to brag about you. So Holy Spirit, where, where it is needed, would you move on all of our campuses with the people listening online to reveal that thing in them that they're trying to hide that you really want to expose so that people could see your goodness in our weakness, through our weakness, then ultimately bring you praise. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.